Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we're committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry's best practices. So I'm Rose from Evolution uh, and today I'm your host. My panel today consists of three leaders from South East London Integrated Care System and our topic today is the East London, um, South East London Shared Care Record. Today we have Angela Poland, Stephen East and Claire Delaney Pope. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of that organisation. So with that, we'll start with introductions and hear from the panellists themselves before we move on to discussing the topic. So, Angela, if you don't mind coming in first and introducing who you are. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rose. Uh, hi, I'm Angela Poland and I head up digital programmes for South East London Integrated Care Systems. And one of the things I'm most passionate about is um, through digital, improving health and care outcomes of South East Londoners of Londoners, of people across the UK, and through international collaborations. Bob, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Claire, if you can come in now, please. Thanks, Rose. Hi, I'm Claire Delaney-Pope. I'm Interim Deputy Chief Information Officer and Data Protection Officer for the South London and Morsley NHS Foundation Trust. And um, I was the IG lead uh, for this programme. The things I'm passionate about is using information governance to enable transformation and change um, and not hinder that and also to ensure that we have full transparency about the way NHS use their data and to have full stakeholder engagement with any initiative that we move forward so that there's no surprises to our population. Fantastic. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for joining me as well. Stephen, lastly, if you'd like to come in. Hi, Rose. Um, I'm Stephen East, the Chief Technology Delivery Architect for South East London ICS, and I also work for Lewisham and Greenwich NHS Trust. I suppose in regards to passion, in regards to shared care records, um, it's about looking, sort of reducing the inequalities within care and social care as well, and sort of the growth within the health ecosystem and also working with our colleagues across London as well to share more information rather than just within the South East London region. Fantastic. Um, brilliant. Well, we'll start with our talking points now. Um, and Angela, you're going to come in from a, a programme management perspective um, and clarify what is a shared care record? Why do we have one? And what the benefits are? Yeah, sure. So um, a shared care record is a secure system where somebody's, where an individual health and care information is all accessible in a single place, in one place. So, um, for example, if you're being seen by a GP, then they can see your A&E visit information. If you're a social care service user, they can see your social care information. They can see all of the treatment and care that you're providing. Um, sorry, that has been provided to you. So that's what a shared care record is. And in South East London, we participate in a London regional shared care record called the London Care Record. Now, if you didn't have a shared care record, it means that the health or care professional that's treating you at the time, they'll only be able to see the information that's accessible within their own system, within their own organisation. With a shared care record, you have greater visibility of all of the health and care that is being um, provided for the individual you're treating. 
So that's one of the key benefits, really, is that you've really got um, the health and care professional looking after you really has a joined-up view of all of the care that you're receiving. They're able to make much safer, more informed and quicker decisions about your care because they can see the care that you're receiving from everywhere, not just from their organisation, their, their provider. Um, so, I mean, there's quite a few other benefits. Um, for the patient, it can be quite tiresome having to repeat their own information, their own story again and again and again to the different care providers if they're, if they're being seen by multiple people and they've got multiple care, multiple um, conditions, long-term conditions. So, you know, if you think about when you're a bit poorly, um, you might not be thinking straight, you might leave out quite important, relevant details um, about your history if you had to repeat it all the time. So having a shared kid record the health and care professional can actually see for themselves the relevant information for the reason why you're presenting yourself at that time. Um, it's a lot safer, it's a lot quicker. It means that health and care professionals don't have to spend lots of time on the telephone calling up other care providers saying, hi, excuse me, um, you know, what information do you hold on this individual? They can just see it right there at their fingertips. Um, and that means they have more time to do less admin and more face-to-face time. And also, if we put ourselves in the situation of emergency or out-of-hours care, um, in an out-of-hours situation, there are other care providers to ring up on the telephone because they're closed. So having your information securely available at the point of care um, when you're treating somebody in the middle of the night is really important. And also, um, in emergency situations, you can access that information a lot quicker, where time is really critical. So there are some of the core benefits, many more, of course. That's perfect. Thank you, Angela. Thanks for clarifying. If anyone wants to come in um, and add to Angela's uh, introduction of a shared care broker, that'd be fab. Stephen? I think one important sort of point as well for the care professionals, wherever they are, is quick access as well. So what we call sort of single sign-on. So being able to access it directly from within their electronic patient record system is one of the sort of key lessons and learnings that we've had over the years of implementing shared care records. Um, so even though there are other ways to access it, the way from a secure and an IG and security perspective is doing it through their trusted systems and being accredited uh, for that sort of direct care point of care access. And quite a lot of work we're doing now in Southeast London is looking at sort of role-based access controls. So at the moment, everyone can see everything within the shared care record. But following some national guidance and guidelines that were put into place in Southeast London, people will see the information that is pertinent to them based on their profession, um, allowing a little bit more transparency on what people are seeing and hopefully giving more assurance to the citizens that inappropriate people are not looking at their health record in detail depending if they're sensitive data items as well. That's really reassuring to hear as well. Um, Claire you wanted to add to that? Yeah just uh, to add on to Stephen's point there in terms of this access this data is accessed in um, several different ways but actually by doing it through um, an electronic system it doesn't discriminate against what time of day access is needed when you think that nine to, the hours are nine to five Monday to Friday you'll have more people to access but at three o'clock in the morning if you are needing access and you it's important to note that this access is from your direct um, a care professional only someone that is legitimately 
access in that record because they are uh, your health professional who is trying to access it for a specific purpose, um, then that that can be done quickly in a timely manner. You're not having to uh, wait till sort of nine o'clock when when colleagues come in to be able to get that information from other organisations. So it's about that as well. This isn't a new initiative. It's just a more efficient and secure way of sharing that data in sort of a real-time way. Well, thank you, Claire. Um, we will come on to hear from Stephen um, in, in your technical perspective here. And you're wanting to discuss the future opportunities and where technically you could go. Yeah, I, I think at the moment, the way shared care records are, it's it's been a need for quite a long time across nationally anyway. And they are maturing over time. And there's lots of different technologies out there, but it's also managing the legacy systems that are also in existence. So without going into dull sort of technical speak, there's different mechanisms of getting data out of the source systems within health and social care uh, to be surfaced at the sort of point of direct care for the care professionals. And I think some of it's in real time, some of it's 24 hours behind. Um, I think the aspiration is to get everything near time, but also shared outside of South East London as well. Um, And that sort of feeds into some of the strategies from uh, the One London team around the London care record of making it accessible. So really the future for me is wherever you're receiving treatment across the UK, there should be some federated architecture that they can see what is pertinent to your presenting complaint. So if I went up to the Northeast, they would be able to see some of my medical history to give me sort of optimal care at that point in time because at the moment it is still ring fenced within London and some of the regions outside but it is sort of there's different inequalities around shared care records and the success Um, also I think one of the other future pieces as well is kind of having using a shared care record for bi-directional data flow so any information that is available within the shared care record can be consumed within the local system as well because there is still need for that information to be transcribed to maybe create other mechanisms within the hospital or the community services. So I think a big direction in this sort of coming years is looking more at that fuller integration of data points, because at the moment we know it's done on paper, we know it's done in handover, we know it's done in discharge summaries where you may see a medication history and then the pharmacy or the care clinician has to re-enter that within their own electronic patient record. So I think it does leverage itself um, for more information sharing across systems rather than what it is really now is a bit of a view only snapshot of that patient Um, so that's how I would think it should and would proceed and then again quite a lot is data fragmentation um, because of lack of some standards around how information is displayed how historical systems are used um, looking at standardization as well, you know, crudely around blood results, what someone calls a full blood count, maybe called an FBC in another organization. So results aren't aggregated. So there is definitely optimization in how information is displayed, um, consistent, and what local providers call maybe the same thing, but have a local acronym for it as well. So looking at quite a lot of that piece around data standardization will then help the sort of bi-directional integration and every other word I can finish in in ION really around sort of all of that technical space um, really should be the progress that should be made in the coming years. Fantastic answer. Thanks Stephen for clarifying that and it's really interesting to hear as well. Um, 
just throughout the program, you've probably faced some challenges as well. Um, Angela, do you want to come in here and add to Stephen's point? Yeah, I I just think actually Stephen raises some really good points there around the need for data standards um, and for joining, also with the vision of joining up all of the shared records across England together so that it doesn't matter where you are um, being treated, that they can access your information. And I, I think data standards by nature are never static. And that is one of the challenges that she cared records with so many vendors um, and so many different suppliers joining up all this information. They are absolutely key. And we've got to be mindful as well that we take our suppliers thus on the journey, that we are very clear about what the data standards are and when they're changing because not only does it have implications for the suppliers sharing information, but it also has implication, cost implications for our care provider partners who might need to make changes in order to comply with the latest version of the data standards, which will evolve over time. So I, I just think data standards are key to share care records and, and is quite challenging as well over time to make sure that it's sustainable and well-maintained. Stephen, back to you. Yeah, I, I think just kind of the challenges and sort of Angela's point, I think with all of the standardisation, um, sometimes it could feel like moving the Titanic in regards to getting a uniformed agreement, but also, you know, the engagement with the citizens as well and them having a voice um, so they understand what's being shared and why. I think historically, um Patients are kind of going, you know, conceptually or anecdotally, it's the NHS, all the data is shared, why can't you see it? It's kind of an old-fashioned viewpoint. But actually now, because of the complexity of data stored in different places, what does it mean when it's moved from one location to another, um, that transparency, and then what is done with that information and the sensitivity of someone's going to sell it to a firm and they're going to make lots of money when it's their intellectual property. So I think part of it is also, you know, not just the suppliers, it's the workforce changing that hearts and minds. I think we've done some really fantastic work in Southeast London where we are pretty mature in that space, um, but I think the citizens' part needs to be done as a whole, not just in sort of little pockets with different disciplines and specialties um, and bringing that sort of joined up collaboration as well creates that momentum. And when they see, you know, the benefits and the use case of why, we have quite a very small number of patients that restrict their data from being made accessible because now they understand the value it's having for their treatment as well. Diane, I'll come into your point here if you wanted to add to Stevens and Angela's. Yeah, just on the point of citizen engagement, I think it's absolutely critical for the success of shared care record that we get that right. And we don't just do it in a point of time. That's a continuation through the program. And as we connect with other um, shared care records, um, I think the, the, the thing I like the most about this program is that we started small and then when linking that together we haven't started as a national program and made it big what we're doing is with every time we link we are building the trust of citizens by engaging them with every step that we're taking and that next sort of progression point and I think that's going to be one of the key successes if we just continue that citizen um, engagement as we start to link up and start to build this wider and, and then hopefully to get that to national Thank you, Claire. Back to you, Stephen. 
Yeah, sort of going back around to sort of persistent engagement and then standardization, I think there's kind of the sustainability of shared care records as well. So when it comes into standards, that means you need suppliers, organizations to change and information to change. So at the moment, because there's such variability of how information and data is shared, is a lot of work to manage it day to day. Whereas if there are better standards, means actually the sustainability means there's less people behind the scenes kind of, you know, uh, supporting it and making changes and taking away this kind of responsibility as well. Um, So everything is working much more in a uniformed format. Because what we do find is that, you know, data quality issues are always kind of entrenched in any electronic system. Um, But also then different technologies are very difficult to manage, especially if it's legacy systems, there's less people working in the digital space. So how it can become a bit more um, proactive is one of those things about sustainability, um, because otherwise the bigger you get, the more people that need to support it. And it's trying to find the right cost balance of sustainability and value, because otherwise you're driving down the value and increasing the cost. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Stephen. I think that's going to bring us to our next point. Claire, um, you're going to discuss the data information and why we'd use the data in these instances. Um, Yeah, sure. So um, I think the important part to start with here is this data is not our data. This is the population that we serve. It's their data. And we are using this data to provide direct care. Um, And and that is what the share care record is. No more. We will use the data that is in there to provide direct care to the population. So... What we need to think about there is data minimization, which is basically making sure that we're using the least amount of data to maximize the benefit that we are trying to achieve. So we will take this really seriously and we will make sure that that data is literally the data set that we need, no more and and no less because less could cause that risk as well. So we would have clinical input in that as well as information governance leads uh, to, to determine what what data do we need to provide what the share care record is trying to achieve. Um, so that's that's data set that has gone in. Now we have various different organisations that are putting into this and it is all healthcare data. However, that is going to vary across organisations, but it is still always on the principle that that's the minimum data. Um, now, in terms of when we look at those data flows and making sure that it's appropriate, we want to ensure that it's lawful. Um, we want to make sure that it's ethical as well, that we're using the data for appropriate purposes. Um, and this is all underpinned by a data protection impact assessment. It's the first thing we look at. And it, I mean, basically, it's a risk assessment for data. Um, what that will do is provide that first point for us about what risks, if any, are there. How are we going to mitigate those risks? And this document stays fluid through the life cycle of the program. And that basically is the IG kind of guide throughout the program to make sure that we are putting the right governance and assurance around this data share before any data is even shared. Um, so that's that's basically what we're looking at when we're looking at the data that's flowing. Now, again, over time, that data might increase, but that would only be if we determine that that data is needed for the for the purpose of providing that direct care. And I know I keep saying direct care, but I think that's really important to emphasize that this is used for a primary purpose and, and nothing more. I, I just wanted to pick up on Claire's point about um, engagement and how we really need to take the local residents and the public 
um, with us on our journey as we extend and expand the Sheet Care Record in our case of London Care Record and that they are one of the key stakeholders and it's so, so important to be transparent and I think we've really tried hard to do that in South East London, all of us, all of us involved in the programme, so that's really, really important. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I just wanted to reinforce how important it is to get public support. Um, and as we extend into new care settings and increase the data items and provide access to more and more health and care partners, it becomes even more challenging, that message to give to the public because it becomes a lot more complex, the messaging. Uh, and so it's worthwhile doing and involving the public wherever we can in all parts of our program, but it, it is a continual challenge. And it is something that has to go on beyond the program. So the program's here to deliver the Sheet Care Record, but all good programs have an end date. But we still want the service to keep on going. And this is a Sheet Care Record and it has a managed service associated with it. And we want that to be sustainable over over at least four or five years so that we can really bring value over and beyond the cost of the program, as Stephen already mentioned. Bob, thank you, Angela. I absolutely love the the main stakeholder being the citizen, and that was a really good uh, analogy. Um, Stephen, I'll, I'll come to you. Yeah, I, th- I think in regards to what Claire said around the sort of data protection impact assessment, I think some of the myths that I see across the UK in regards to shared care records is um, how in South East London we've got certain data to be shared where some other providers may be reticent to share it or what is deemed sensitive. And I think that's really come not just because we went in and said this is what's needed, but having a use case and benefit and actually trust. So what we kind of start with is an organisation that may be a little bit reticent, maybe not uh, mature enough to really understand what shared care records are um, and what data that they do want to share. But it's not about the organisation. It's actually what do people outside of that organisation need to provide better care and what is missing so it's an actual conversation with the other organization, not the provider that's sending the data. So again, it's having sort of multidisciplinary teams coming together to decide what information is available. They may start with something fairly basic or clinically light. And again, then it evolves over time. So even though we may have gone live with South London and Maudsley data uh, for mental health, again, there may be something new that's introduced and actually will provide better benefit with the sort of collaborative working so actually we may now release mental health crisis plans from slam which we don't share so it's an it's an ever-growing sort of field so i think again one of those kind of myths is you can't just force upon an organization in another part of the country that don't know it but it will come over time and i think it's you don't need to rush it because it's it is everyone working together for that goal um, and then having that sort of benefit, that use case, the adoption, building that trust that we know what we're doing with competent people and it's being used wisely and not being exposed for other means. So it's quite a lot of fear rather than the reality um, is probably what we've seen over time. So I think that's why we've got this maturity level now. You know, technically, we've had a shared care record for about seven years Um and, you know, I think last month we had over 400,000 accesses to it, whereas when we started it was 60,000 seven years ago. So we can already see an exponential growth of value from the care professionals. And also then it's, you know, word of mouth that warrants you accessing this. How about this? Can this help you? So we've actually found other use cases that we realised probably existed 
the use of the London Care Record for multidisciplinary teams or looking at sort of radiology results within different sections. So again, those stories kind of rise up, but also having that sort of the citizen again at the heart of it, having that conversation and understanding where these changes have made an impact. There was an example a few years ago in primary care where um, around two-week cancer referrals, actually their administrative staff can see attendances or when referrals are added within the acute. Rather than phoning trying to chase these referrals, they could see that a hospital actually processed it and it was on the shared care record. So they felt at ease that something was happening rather than this kind of no man's land of lack of communication, um, for example. Pass over to Claire. Thanks, Stephen. Um, just going back to the point I made right at the beginning of here, where I said my my passion is about making sure that IG is an enabler, not hindering, and it's something that I really want to echo it in here. How how IG can help to uh, be a core success of a of a program if we do it the right way. Um, going back to sort of Stephen's point and, and coming into that DPIA again, that is a really critical document for us. And one, as I say, we never would close off, um, even going into BAU. We would forever be going back and, and checking that document and updating it because we still have an obligation to our population to, you know, we've, we've said we're going to do this. These are the benefits. The realised benefits are very there, much there. But now what we need to do is provide, we are an assurance that we have done what we said we are going to do and that's through an auditing program and that's through making sure that we have um, audits in place and that we are monitoring those systems to make sure those accesses are appropriate, having contractual agreements in there as well. I won't go too much into the contractual agreements, but there is there is a suite of documents that underpin this data sharing to ensure that we have done everything we can to make this a secure system. Um, and to realise those those benefits, but I think my one of the, the things that would for to enable and, and make sure IG is continued to be an enabler is that it, the IG doesn't stop when the program goes into BAU. Actually, it's just beginning, and it's about maintaining that trust with our citizens, keeping the population up to date on what we're trying to do, and bringing them into the next step and the next conversation. Um, and then just on that point about stakeholders, and I think we'll get to this later in terms of sort of lessons learned and, and things, but it's just really important to make sure all stakeholders are at that table from the very beginning and just bringing people along with you um, because it was, you know, we're all trying to reach the end goal. And from an IG perspective, having that on the, ta- having everyone around that table in the very first instance, I think is is another good key uh, for success for a program like this. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Claire. And it does bring us to our next point. So we're going to be re- reflecting now on the program overall, what could have gone better and what went well. Does anyone want to come in first here? Well, well, firstly, I'd just like to say that it was an amazing program team to work with. I'll pop that in there before Stephen and Angela does. Um, and that always helps when you, you know, have a good solid team around you. I think lessons learned from me and again, from an information governance perspective, I think, you know, was all the key stakeholders at the table at the very beginning? No. Um, and I think that caused quite a few delays at the beginning. So I think, you know, my advice to anyone who's starting off this journey, and it's not just for IG, it's for any part, is just to make sure that you've got your stakeholders engaged ready to go at the very beginning because what you find is that those key pivotal moments when things need to be signed off where you need to get assurance from an organization that they're happy to go that's where you're going to start to have problems these are not things that you can just push through and keep going you need to have the buy-in 
and you need to have the trust and the confidence of each organisation to be able to be successful before you can move through into the next milestone. Perfect. Thank you, Claire. Um, and Angela, I'll come to you. Right. Thanks, Rose. So I just wanted to add uh, to that one of the stakeholder or one aspect of the stakeholder challenges that Claire's referencing there. I think as as the shared record gets more useful information in, in it, within it, you end up with more and more partners in the third sector and, and, and other settings wanting access to that. And actually a key challenge and something you continually have to work at is reassuring those care providers who have already shared information on the London Gear Record that appropriate checks and measures and are in place and that de- for appropriate use and that no inappropriate use is going to be accessing their 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 information. And that's a continual challenge as you become more successful, more useful, and you extend into different care settings. And it is really important to keep all of your existing stakeholders who have some skin in the game, if you like, they're already sharing the information. Um, so they don't want, they feel nervous, they don't want to feel exposed and you've really got to put as much energy, if not more, into those existing partners as you do the new partners that you bring on board um, just to reassure them that actually, because a lot of what we're doing in the, in the, for the London Care Record in South East London, we want to move into new care settings, we want to move into care homes, we want to move into community pharmacy um, and we have just moved, well, over the last couple of years into adult social care. And so everybody understands the operational, the, the way things work on the ground, the workflows in these new care settings. So there is this um, information sharing, um, that you've a journey that you've got to take your existing uh, stakeholders on in order for them to understand the nuances of these new care settings that you're moving into that they might not really understand how they work and operate and that is a key challenge but it takes a lot of energy but it's re- if we need it right it's just fantastic because you really see the value shining through of a shared record. Absolutely, thank you Angela. Um, Stephen, I'll come to you. Yeah, I suppose just with a technical slant I think um, my experience or this is unfair maybe to some technical people but I think they get stuck in their ways and once you've done something technically they dig their heels in and are not willing to change. Um, with newer technologies or improved ways of sharing information. Um, So I think it's, you know, as responsible for some of the technical leadership side is working with the individuals, organisations or suppliers to understand that there are changes in technology and it's okay. And we've we've made mistakes in the past in regards to how we thought something could work Um, and understanding that, you know, the senior leadership, the directors, the execs, it does need sustained investment as well to accommodate for enhancements and changes in technology. Because um, I think what happens is, especially with legacy systems, they procrastinate and we don't update them, we don't change them and use better technology to share information in a quicker, more robust, standardized way. Um, so I think it goes back to sort of, you know, Claire and Angela's point, there's sustained investment, there's that data transparency that we're not overselling what we're doing, but we're also improving sort of one tactically and locally of what we can provide, but always having that strategic vision of we need to change and adopt better 
information systems or convergence on different systems. You know, lots of organizations change their electronic patient record, but we still need to have that information and data. So the way work is now happening is we are within Southeast London, when we're aware of system changes, we're working them way before they move to a new system. So there isn't any disruption of other services now and a lot more um, organizations in Southeast London are aware of us and come forward to say this is happening, you know, a year before. Um, and I think the ICS is supporting that sort of as well and bringing that sort of better collaboration and visibility of system changes. Um, and the shared care record underpins a lot of that um, of how they can engage. And it's part of their sort of prerequisites that they need to be able to integrate with a shared care record, regardless of what system they take into the future as well. Really fascinating points from all, and I think other organisations listening, wherever they're at with the Shared Care Breakup Programme, will be, you know, enlightened to hear, hear today's uh, topic. Um, just anyone want to add to any points that we've made um, throughout the podcast to finish off? No? That's perfect. So I just want to say thank you all very much for joining me today and sharing your thoughts. Uh, it's been fantastic. And once again, the guests on today's podcast have been Angela, Stephen and Claire. Um, if you're looking to hire new technical roles or you're looking for a new role, please feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. You can contact me directly on LinkedIn. My name's Rose Sullivan. And again, thank you so much for listening.